Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Boy, do we have a show ahead of you today. Wow, I've got a, a woman who lived on the streets of Southern California growing up on the streets, and now she has a ministry to help the poor, the homeless, because she's been there, and she had a powerful testimony of her conversion to the Catholic faith. So that's what's coming up after the first segment. But today, I want to also remind you we're going to be at Dodger Stadium later this afternoon uh, we're going to be at the cathedral, so if you check it out, we're doing a protest of adoration. We're doing reparation by walking to a Dodger Stadium near it there and uh, making reparation for the sacrileges because the Dodgers are honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence during the team's upcoming Pride Night game, which has nothing to do with pride. Wow. Uh, so that's what we got going. But I want to uh, mention something else today. This just hit... This week, Elon Musk promoting Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary after Twitter initially censored it, saying that they wouldn't do it. Here's what happened. Free speech advocate and owner uh, Elon Musk promoted What is a Woman, a documentary on the platform just hours after the company abandoned a deal to stream the film for free on Thursday. So on June 1st, exactly one year after the release of Matt Walsh's Groundbreaking documentary exposing the evil of gender ideology, Daily Wire co-CEO and co-founder Jeremy Boring announced that Twitter has backed out of the deal to stream and promote the film to the public due to certain scenes containing so-called misgendering. Now, they think about, if you haven't seen this movie, it's really important to watch a documentary on what is a woman. They label it as hateful. Is it hateful to tell people the truth? I hope not. So I wanted to remind you of that. Also, something before I get to the gospel I think is good news. Pittsburgh Bishop calls for cancellation of Pride Mass in his diocese. Wow. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Pittsburgh Bishop David Zabuck of Pittsburgh is reportedly calling for the cancellation of what he described as an unauthorized Pride Mass. A flyer circulating online showed the Mass was scheduled for June 11th, Feast of Corpus Christi, at the, you know, uh, Dubuque's uh, University Holy Spirit Chapel. It is meant to be presided over by Father Doug Bond. The Daily Signal reported on May 31st that the bishop responded to the event by calling for its cancellation, good for him, and claiming that neither he nor the university president, Ken Gormley, knew anything about the Mass until it came in to our respective offices over the holiday weekend. Oh, they tried to slide that one in. It's unclear, though, how the event was planned, and the bishop noted it files it flies right in the face of Catholic Church's opposition to homosexual fornication. I like that title. We're against any deviant sexual abuse, whether it's um, adultery, fornication, uh, homosexual fornication. Yeah, this is all against the gospel. So don't think we're being prejudiced here. It's all of it. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, this event was billed as a Pride Mass organized to coincide with Pride Month in an annual secular observance that supports the members of the LGBTQ community on every level, including lifestyle, behavior, which the church cannot endorse. See, this is what bishops are supposed to do. I'm in Los Angeles. I'll never forget our Archbishop Roger Mahoney, he never would stop these people. He always said, oh, we have to have open arms and welcoming him. 
But you can't welcome people to sin. And this is what that Bishop of Pittsburgh said. No, we can't do that. The statement reportedly came in a letter to the clergy and those upset about the event, which caused an uproar on social media. See, you have to complain about these things. Crisis Magazine editor-in-chief Eric Sammons, he's a good man, blasted the event, tweeting last week that the Bishop of Pittsburgh has a sacred obligation to shut this sacrilege down and discipline all the clerics associated with it. You think? Of course he does. Come on. Common sense ain't that common right now. Now, I can go on and on talking about, uh, you know, we know the catechism of the Catholic Church says we want to be loving to them, but loving is part of giving them the truth about the gospel. And so Pope Francis said, yeah, reminding us, the church, that we have strongly encouraged welcoming, listening. Right. Okay, we've done all that. But he said we have to be faithful ministers to the Catholic Church teachings. And this is why I closed this down. And I want to commend the bishop for doing that because not every Catholic bishop would do that. I know Bishop Strickland would do that because I talked to him about it. If they try and do it in his diocese, he'll shut it down. Think about this statement from Pope Pius X. He said, How I tremble to think that souls can be punished for all eternity on the account of negligence of their pastor. That innocent people can be led from the path of truth because of the words of an inspired text were never preached to them. And that the spirit of the world and of our time especially should pour into ill-instructed minds for want of a firm hand to check its tide. And here's what the Pope said. And every bishop, every priest, every father, every mother, we all have this. I have a sacred duty to defend the truth openly for God will ask me to render an account for all those souls who have strayed into the way of perdition. And that is a fact that we all have. <clears throat> so this is why lay people are encouraging the bishops to stand up and do the right thing. And this is what <clears throat> we're trying to say here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. <clears throat> we're not in management. <clears throat> we're in sales. But when we see something as bad as this, and we can't go out and just say, wait a minute, this isn't the Catholic Church teaching. Why are we doing this? <clears throat> That's our duty to do. And you're actually blessing the bishop, even the pope, when you correct him. Why? Because he has a sacred duty. And in Canon 912, it says that we're supposed to let our pastors know our concerns. So there you have it. All right, let's bring some soul food in. The gospel, according to uh, Mark, uh, it says... At the time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
It's kind of interesting, this gospel for today fits right in with my guest when she comes in the next segment, because she had no religious background. I'll just say that she had an extraordinary gift of grace in her life to realize she needed to know more about Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And when she did that, her life changed. And I would encourage everyone that we give our life to Jesus Christ because our life will change when we say yes to Christ. And my guest is going to give you a compelling story of how she lived on the street. She was abused big time. Wait till you hear her story. It's going to blow you away. And I want you to tell others, because I think she has some practical ideas on how to help the homeless. So I want you to keep that in mind. All right, let's bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop. Mr. Engineer, how many minutes do we have before the break? All right, we'll get that full sheen ahead. All right, here's our, our quote for today. There is nothing that so much undermines the minds of people as the loss of the meaning of life. <clears throat> After all, if we do not know why we are here, why go on living? Well, my next guest <coughs> said just that. She attempted to commit suicide twice <coughs> because she lost hope in her life. And that's what our Catholic faith gives us, hope, because we know life is short and eternity is forever. Mr. Engineer, can you tell me how many minutes I have left on this segment, please? Okay, we're going to end right now. Then I will just say, when we come back, we're going to have our guest on who's going to give us an amazing story of her testimony, how she came into the Catholic Church and started a ministry to the homeless. You won't want to miss this story. So I thank you. And today we're at Dodger Stadium going to protest the Dodgers' decision to support the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence by giving them an upcoming award for their Pride... Oh, one more minute. Good. For their Pride Night game. So that's where we're going to be. Jess and myself will be walking and making reparation for that. And those folks who are going to come to our benefit dinner tonight, we'd love to see you. I'm going to be probably in traffic for a good hour and a half coming back for that dinner. It's a busy day today, but I'm glad I could join you, our listeners. And I want to Thank you for supporting. We've put out quite a bit of resources out for this Dodger thing. So if you want to support us financially, you can go to vmpr.org or call us at 877-526-2151 and make a donation to help defray some of the costs that we ended up putting out to stand up for our Catholic faith. And that's basically what we do. We need to do that more and more. Everyone needs to stand up for Jesus. And this is our time and our moment We need to respond with lovingly the truth of Jesus Christ. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll have another guest. He's a woman who has an amazing story of her conversion to the Catholic faith. Yes, I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess and I would be billionaires. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I have Jess Etcheberry. She's a expert regarding homelessness and working out to people 
and helping them get back on their feet. And I love the principle of subsidiarity that you're using to help the local community get out and reach out to these folks. I want to welcome you, Jess, for our, our here at Virgin Most Powerful. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're honored to have you here. I wanted to just set the stage here for our listeners because we don't know you from Adam other than what I've read and I like what I've been reading and what I've been hearing. Can you tell us a little bit of your own story because you've been experiencing homelessness when you were a youngster. Can you tell us uh, your story and then your, in addition, uh, I want to add your faith story and how that played into what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So I, um, I come from what I call a broken home. My parents divorced and remarried and, um, quite a few times. So, um, that situation when I was a young girl, um, I ended up experiencing child sexual trauma, um, molestation and rape. Oh no. By the time I was 12. Yeah. So, um, by the time I was 14, I was running away. I was rebellious. I was struggling. Yeah. Um, really didn't know how to share. Really didn't know how to look for support or healing. Obviously, you know, because I was so young. Yeah. And so, fourteen, I became a runaway. Um, by the time I was sixteen, um, I became pregnant and um, tried to have an abortion, um, but couldn't do it. Um, ended up at a pregnancy help center yes. and. And, and realized at the moment, okay, well, that's a baby. Yeah. Didn't really realize that before that time, um, but didn't have anywhere to go. At the time, um, my family relationships were very strained, as you can imagine. And the answer in my family was an abortion. Mm. And so if I didn't get an abortion, I really wouldn't have anywhere to go. So it forced me into um, living in a crack and prostitution house. Oh. Um and that was a obviously a very terrible experience. It got so bad that I ended up calling, you know, my family and just crying and saying and explaining, you know, what I'm seeing and, and what's happening there and just that I just can't live like this. Like I would rather die than live here. Yeah. And um they were able to pull me out, but again, uh, I had nowhere else to go. Um, they found a home for unwed mothers. Um, it was run by a Protestant church, and that's where I ended up having my most of my pregnancy there, the the rest of my pregnancy, and giving birth to my first child at 16. Wow. Um, and that is my firstborn child, uh, a son. Yes. The uh, maternity home that I was in did not have resources for girls who wanted to keep their babies. So it was, I had to give him up for adoption. So mm-hmm. he was taken away from me. Um, and I fell into a very deep depression. I was doing my postpartum at the maternity home. And um, long story short, the father wanted his son back and so went through me to get his son back. So I did end up getting my baby back two weeks later. But um, again, I had no support. So I had to take him over to his father's family. And that's who ended up raising him um, myself. So that was, you know, because I got him back now, um, I still had nowhere else to live. So I ended up spending really my first night on the streets was when I dropped my newborn off to his father's house and had nowhere else to go. I went to the beach, you know, made my spot in the sand. And I just told myself, I thought, you know, if I can just get through this one night, if I can see the sunrise, because it was on the East Coast at the time. um, And that's where the sun comes up out of the ocean. If I could just see the sunrise 
you know, I could do this. I can just make my way and I can get through this. Um, and so I did, I saw the sunrise out of the ocean and, and I was like, all right, let's just do this. And life on the streets for the next seven years, um, it was of an array of experiences, um, you find your group, your group of other runaways and homeless people, and you create kind of your unhealthy family out there. Yes, that's what I understand. Um, you learn how to work the systems, yes. you go in and out of the shelters, you know, and you just figure out how to survive. And so that's what I did. Um, there was a lot of abuse on the streets, abusive relationships. Hmm. At 18, I became pregnant again. Um, and this time, because I was so far deep yeah. in into, you know, the homeless lifestyle, I was just numb. Everything was numb over me. And so um, I just kept hearing in my ear, you know, you're going to have a baby. Like, where are you going to take the baby? What kind of life is that baby going to have? And so I was convinced by this voice that the best thing I could do as a mother is to have an abortion. Wow. Um, Yeah. And so, um, so I believed it. Mm -hmm. And at 18, I went in and um and had an abortion wow and um yeah so um you know terry before i had the abortion yes. um, and everybody that i encountered that i was running the streets with you know we all wanted to survive we woke up every morning surviving that was our living right wow. we we wanted to wake up every morning and live and breathe and try and do our best Um, but after I had that abortion, I didn't have that feeling anymore. I didn't want to exist. I didn't want to wake up. Um, the life literally left me, um, after I had it. So I attempted suicide at 19. I attempted suicide again at 20. Wow. Um, and it obviously didn't work. Thank you to God. God. (laughs) Um, and you know, it's, it it was just a hard time. I, I ended up getting housing. I was on welfare. I became pregnant again at 21. Um, and at that pregnancy, I was in a very abusive relationship. Um, I was thrown through a plate glass window oh, and, and beaten, um, five months pregnant Oh no. and into the hospital and the triage nurse there was just, I mean, she was so upset and sad to see yeah. me in that state. And she just kept telling me, please let me help you. Please let me help you. And I was like, this, like, what is there to help with? Like, this is my life. And she was like, but he's going to kill you. And I looked at her and was like, okay. <laughs> like, wow. He tried twice and it didn't work, but like, okay. Like, I don't really care. Yeah. And then she looked at me and she said, um, but he could hurt your baby. And when she said that something inside of me clicked, it was like, Good. I lost my first son, I could never have him. And that was a, just a painful mother wound. My second child I killed in an abortion mm-hmm. and regretted it. And now my third child, now this woman is telling me that something bad could happen to them. And so that clicked in me and I let her help me. And, and she did, there wow. was a restraining order. Jeez. He went to jail the apartment was turned over into my name and I was for the first time in my life, um, independent and had my own, I mean, it was a dump, yeah. <laughs> but, and I was living on food stamps and welfare. And, you know, I took, I gave birth to my daughter, my third child, Yes. With my first baby that I came home with, that I had a home to come home to. And, um, she came home in a 
donated car seat in the back of the taxi cab with me. Like wow. that was the state of my life. <laughs> Incredible. But you know what, Terry, if you would have knocked on my door at yeah. that moment, and they said, hey, Jess, how do you feel about your life? I would have told you I was living my best life ever. I bet compared to what you had before. I get I that. Relative. I just didn't know. Yeah. Yes. And that's actually one of the insights that we share with people about the experience of homelessness, right? Is that a lot of times these people come from a state of woundedness. They're still living in a state of woundedness. And they don't understand who created them and the love that they were created in and what God created them truly for, right? The, the dignity and the worth that they have. At that time, I had no idea, no idea of that. And so I thought that was the best things we're ever going to get. Incredible. Yep. Wow. You know, I'm at the edge of my chair because I'm going to eat what you've been through. So let me ask this because we're going to be coming to our first break. I want to understand your motivation for wanting to help the homeless. I get you've been there, you've done that, and you want to help people get out of that environment. But what about your faith in God? How did that come into play in the picture? Yeah, so on the streets, I, I mean, I, I came from an unchurched family. My, my parents didn't introduce religion or God or anything like yep. that with us at home. So I, I didn't know anything about it. I had one uncle who uh, my family referred to as a Jesus freak or a Bible thumper. And he was a Protestant who loved the Lord. And But that I wasn't. I didn't have a lot of exposure with him and his family. Um, so I didn't really say I actively believed in God. But I didn't really not believe in him. And the outreach workers who would come to the streets and do outreach to us and try and help us homeless would always tell us, oh, well, Jesus is with you. He sees your suffering. He's journeying with you. And that actually made me mad. Like, I, I didn't understand, like, well, if this God is so wonderful, why did he just watch this happen to me last night? And why did he let me experience this two weeks ago? And, you know, it's if he's just wonderful, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? And so I pushed God away, believing that he was either not real or it was just some sick joke. Yeah. Right. So um, it wasn't until after shortly after I had my daughter, my third child, I met my husband, my now husband. Um, that's when we met. So we met um, when I was uh, 22, about to turn 23. And um and he was just different. He was, I mean, I really do believe meeting him was providential. Huh? I believe, you know, that God put us together to save each other in a sense. Um, but he was different. He came from a solid Catholic family. His parents were together. He had one sibling. He, you know, they were faithful family. He was a good guy. Um, and it was in that marriage and relationship where, I began to realize that what I had experienced was not normal and it wasn't good. Yeah. I, you know, I, again, it, com it comes, how do you know what is good if you haven't, in ex all you've experienced is really bad things. I get yeah. that. So tell us how in the world did your husband affect you in a positive way in your relationship with God? Well, honestly, he was patient and he didn't require me to be at any particular level of the journey. Got it. Right? 
And he was in a little bit of a backslide as well, I will say. He was he wasn't living an actively Catholic life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was raised that way and he knew it was important. So, like when we got together and we got married, and he was saying, you know, like our children have to go to Catholic school and we have to get married in the church. So there were have-tos, right? <laughs> That he brought in, uh, into his adult life from what his parents taught him. Yeah. But he was really more of a cultural Catholic. So I think we were both growing with one another. He was having kind of a reversion to the faith. Yeah. And I was learning about like the truth of God, you know, for the first time. And, and God journeyed us in a way like that. But he never forced me to be anywhere. I, I went to seven years of therapy. Um, and I thought, you know, if I go to therapy, that is the answer. I'll be all, I'll come out, I'll be all perfect and good. And I can live a normal, happy life. Um, because that's what the world tells me. That's what Oprah promises. Right. Right. So, um, I believed it. I was, I came out of therapy after seven years and thought, okay, like, why do I still feel like this? Why is there this piece of me that's missing? Great point to end on for the segment for this break. We'll talk about what happened after your counseling of seven years you're listening to the terry and jesse show jess etcheberry's with me talking about homelessness how to solve it stay with us family we'll be back with more to inspire you fall deeper in love with jesus welcome back to the terry and jesse show i'm Really excited to hear this story of Jess Etcheberry talking about homelessness. She's experienced it. If you're just tuning in, you got to go back on the podcast to listen to her story, what she's been through. And uh, now we're at the stage where you've had seven years of counseling to help you overcome all these challenges in your life. And uh, what happened after that, Jess? Yeah, I just I I was expecting to feel complete and happy and full of life. And there was uh, and I felt better. I mean, I don't want to to down the the therapy Um, and it definitely helped. I learned about certain behaviors and and that absolutely helped. But, you know, I was told that there's like a power in me, like there's this thing like I am, you know, tap into the power. I I started meditating and um, getting into a little bit more kind of new age spirituality um, I wanted to reach the highest level of meditation. And so I started um, meditating down at the lake at the self-realization temple here in Pacific Palisades. And um, that's where I was finding my peace and trying to tap into my inner power. And one day I was meditating and the temple is at the top of the hill, but it has like a gold dome. Are you yes, familiar? I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah. And this, I guess the sun was shining on it, but with my eyes closed, I felt a glare over me yeah. and I was like, and I opened it and I saw the glare of the top of the temple. And then I thought to myself, oh, I've never actually been in the temple. Wonder if it's open. So I walked up the hill and went in and it's shaped, if you're familiar, like a hexagon. Mm-hmm. And it had these big tapestries in the back, like hanging on the wall and they were the six um, avatars, the prophets that this particular New Age religion, um, self-realization, like honored and, and, and uh, looked up to. And right in the center was Jesus. And I remember walking in and thinking, what are you doing here? You know, kind of like, 
wait, it it took me aback. But as soon as I thought that, um, Jesus came out of the tapestry, kind of like a hologram. And my entire being was filled to the point where I fell to my knees. Like I couldn't even stand. And it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like a fill, like every ounce, every molecule that I exist with, felt like it was at its capacity and it wasn't a heaviness. It was a perfectness. It was just something I've never, ever experienced before. And I was just in awe. And he looked at me and he literally said, hi, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I see you've met my friends. And then he looked at me and he said, but you're looking for me. I'm the one you're searching for. <laughs> and, um, wow. and then he was gone. And just like that, my whole heart just changed. Yeah. I felt love that I had never, ever experienced before, a completeness that nothing else could even compare to. And that was my that was my motive now. Like I need to find Jesus. And so the first thing that came to my mind was my Catholic mother-in-law, <laughs> who God bless her for the decades I'd been with her son. And every time I was in the car with her and we drove by a Catholic church was like, Jessica, Jessica, do this. I, need to <laughs> I love it. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, she's I like, Jesus is in there. Jesus is in there. I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> and there I am right yep. there. And that is the first thing that comes to me. Jesus is in there and hearing my mother-in-law's voice. And so I was like, I need to go to the Catholic church. I need to find him. And so I went home and I shared with my husband the experience. We took all of our new age stuff down um, in my heart. It was like, I want a picture of Jesus on the cross. I was very adamant about that. That's wow. what came to my heart. Um, we hung a picture of Jesus on the cross. And and that's when I started going to mass with my husband and our children, because he would take them to mass. Um, and I started going, I just started asking questions, you know, what is that cookie? Why is he wearing that green dress? Why does that window have somebody holding a head, right? Like, why is his head dropped off? Like, what is this that you guys got going on here? Yeah, all these questions. Good. Yeah. And, and so, my husband, didn't, he, he couldn't answer them, like not to the, not yeah. to a detailed point. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where he started digging in and getting answers for himself about his own Catholic faith. Where did you go? Did you go to Catholic radio? Did you go to Catholic Answers? Did you hear Fulton Sheen? Who got you, you know, informed on all this? My husband yes. um, got connected to the Apostolate Catholic Answers. Good. And he was like, I, I want to go. They ended up having their first ever gala, yeah. literally five minutes from our house. Oh, he was like, great. I want to go to this. This is like, I, I, we have to go to this. And I'd never... Ben, we went there and he won in a raffle <laughs> 10 years of the Catholic Answers radio show on an iPod. That's awesome. And he literally plugged it in and that's all he listened to. He literally downloaded everything. That's awesome. From the iPod. And then what he learned, he taught me, oh, you know. Great. So it was, yeah, God has a sense of humor in that. I love regard. that story. Beautiful. Yes. Can I, can I shift gears with you, Jess, to now? I mean, that's a beautiful testimony of your faith. What made you start this ministry? And tell us how people can actually help. Can I, do you have like a website people can go to to find out how they can support the work you're doing with the homeless? 
Yes, absolutely. So Sofisa, I started in 1999, mm -hmm. um, almost very shortly after my husband moved out here to Los Angeles from Florida. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I didn't believe in God. This was, I converted to Catholicism in 2008. Wow. So this is very long. So Sofisa is a secular nonprofit. We're a 501c3 organization. Mm -hmm. um, and what's happened is, is when I had my conversion in 2008, um, we, we thought about changing it to a Catholic, um, apostolate, but we realized that God was telling us no for his own reasons to keep it this way and just to run it based on Catholic, uh, social principles, sure. right? With yeah, principles. dignity of the human person, yep. subsidiarity and solidarity. So that you is need to how explain subsidiarity because I know I do it all the time, but for those yeah. who don't know what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So because we're a secular organization, we explain or we sit at a lot of tables in government and homeless services agencies to where we have to explain it without the Catholic or the Christian spin on it, right, which is the foundation of where everything comes from. Right. But so our three foundational principles are those Catholic social principles. So our first one is humans are sacred. Yep. So no matter what religion or belief you have, in general, as a whole, as a people, we believe that humans are a higher creature than anything else. Amen. For us, humans are sacred is the Catholic version of that is the dignity of the human person. Yeah. And so at Sophisa, that is our first and foremost principle that when we encounter, we're encountering the heart of the person, not the situation they're in, not even the behaviors that they have, but we're looking into the heart of the person. And that's what's most important to us. And then the second one is relationships are vital. So that is the solidarity, the, the Catholic social pr the principle of solidarity, right? We lock arms together. We work together in order to get something done or accomplished or to help someone. And so we believe that relationships, not transactions, because the homeless services industry is very transactional. If you encounter, into, if you engage into a relationship with someone, a healthy relationship, then they will make different decisions in their life. And so our model is relationship-based, not transactional. Beautiful. And then, and then the third is, we call it, you're the answer. And that's everybody here, especially in Los Angeles, yeah. is affected by homelessness. Oh, yeah. Everybody is. You can't get away from it. Whether you want to believe it or not, homelessness affects you, yeah. which makes you included in helping heal, because we call it healing homelessness because at the center of homelessness is a person it's not a house right i can take a homeless person off the street and i can put him in a house and all you're doing is solving one symptom you're taking away one obstacle right so that is um those are our three foundational principles wonderful <laughs> well keep keep going because here's where i'm going to go right now with this jess is uh again the people who are on the home, give us an example of what you do when you see, I mean, there's a couple things. Number one, most of us listening go, yeah, I run into homeless people all the time. They're hitting me up for money. They, uh, I, uh, you know, sometimes I have these little gift cards I give them and then they say, I don't want to, I don't need it at McDonald's. I got to get something better than that. Or, you know, you, you got some people on drugs. You got some people uh, who don't, who, who uh, seem to be very um, aggressive with a person saying, you need to help me. How do we, what's the approach, what's the best approach we should have as individuals? 
Absolutely. Great questions. And one of the aspects, one of the things that SOFISA does is we educate, right? So we serve homeless families, right? And that's with our outreach program, motel nights, food, bill wow. pay, helping them with housing. We have a property where we house families ourselves. Wow. Um, that's one circle. The second circle is the housed community, the local community. Mm -hmm. We come out and we talk to businesses, churches, um, uh, corporations to educate people on the lived experience of homelessness and what they can do in their local community to help heal it. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and so we provide webinars. We just completed our first uh, three part, three series webinar on homelessness. It's kind of the introduction to homelessness. We give, we break myths. We talk about data and statistics, and we also help people understand the different personas or scenarios that homeless families are in in their journey. We're building um, a new webinar series. Basically, um, it's gonna answer the question, what does it take, right? So what does it take for a family who's on the street here to get into the house here and become stable? We're gonna walk people through that process. So it's all about education, right? It's educating the community about the truths of homelessness and especially about the person who's experiencing it. Oh, I I lost I lost your sound. On um, there it is. Uh, my question to you is the yeah you, you can help on that level and I under on education, but my question is for those people. I mean, would you recommend? And this is a big question. We're going to take a quick break to answer this. You recommend giving cash to the homeless or do you recommend giving them a coupon or a little card for a, a voucher to get some food? Uh, what exactly is the best thing? I know that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. How do you show caring? We're going to ask that question when we come back. With the Terry and Jesse show, we have Jess Hutchberry talking about homelessness. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Jess Etcherberry's my guest here on the Terry and Jesse Show talking about homelessness. Jess, you're not gonna want to like you're not gonna want to hear this story, but I try to reach out to all the homeless people I run into because I, I look at it as an opportunity to meet Christ. But mm -hmm. I have been uh, I've been taken advantage of by the homeless. I had a guy come into my house when I was a single man, and he stole everything in my house, even the the blinds. And, I mean, everything, he took it out. And he seemed like a nice man, but he just took advantage of me. And I want to ask you, because of your vast experience, what's the best way to handle someone who's homeless? Because you don't know if they're on drugs, what what their personal situation is. Give us a... Uh, kind of like a short answer to how to reach out to someone who comes up to you and says, I, I need, I need money. What do you say? What do you tell them? Great questions. And we get that all the time. Look, God gave us a heart, but he also gave us a mind for prudence as well. Yeah. Amen. In all situations that we're in, we need to do proper discernment. Right. Yep. And, yep. and so the whole, the question, do I give them a dollar or not? Well, the, we operate on a model of care that's based on relationship, right? Jesus entered into relationship with his apostles and his disciples and with us, right? God yes. calls 
the Trinity itself is a relationship, That's right. right? Yep. And so that is our model of care. So the question I would ask someone is, have you done proper discernment about this person that maybe you're encountering? I was giving an interview to a, a newspaper around here one time and the lady said, oh yeah, there's a homeless guy in front of my 7-Eleven and you know, every day I give him a dollar and I was like, oh yeah, what's his name? And she was completely silent. So for years, she'd been giving this man a dollar, which is an act of charity, yep. right? But never asked him his name. Now, if he was safe enough, you'd discern that he was safe enough to encounter and give a dollar to, but there's something in you that didn't go further than that. So I can't tell people what to do with the homeless. I can tell them and to properly discern, right? As Catholics, most especially, discernment is a huge part of how we make decisions and use our hearts and prudence in our minds together. So, and that's the same thing. You know, we use giving things to the homeless as a way to enter into a relationship with them. Got it. You know, and and you connect yourself with organizations like Sofisa. We give outreach trainings. We do webinars educate yourself. Anything else that you're going to invest yourself in a relationship in, yeah. you're going to educate yourself about. So this has the same aspect to it. I get it. So when I stop and talk to a homeless person, the first thing I ask him is their name. Awesome. And when they give me their name, because I, I, I mean, in sales, call people by name, show and explain, you know, this is a sales technique, but it also gets their attention. If I call them Frank, and then I also show a dignity because I ask them their name. Yes, Most people absolutely. don't do that. So when I ask them and then I say, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? Yes. And then and you they always can, tell me their story. Yes. And you can even go a step further tell me, and tell me. In them something and tell them your name. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes that's great. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Exactly. So, so basically you're saying that that's the first step, just a bit of a relationship. Now, when you have somebody, uh, you know, who's homeless, who obviously, uh, you know, you see that they're on something okay because mm -hmm. i mean it's pretty obvious when you see them yeah, no, not wearing very much clothes in a cold day or you know they're shaking and it looks like they're almost like uh you know like like they're on some hot drug that's they're way up on um what do you recommend for that prayer I, mean, I recommend yeah, prayer yeah um, i recommend that anytime you're discerning reaching out or connecting with yeah. any homeless person that you do the prayer of protection the rosary yes um Listen, in homelessness, in woundedness, yes. right? The yeah. very demonic area, there's nothing, there's no light on the streets. Yeah. None. So in any other situation, mm. if you know you're stepping into the darkness, yeah. you put you 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 get your weapons, you you, you know, you load up and yeah. in you definitely have to do that before any type of interaction. Excellent. And you mentioned webinars. How can people go online to your website and get more education on dealing with the homeless and how to support the homeless through your your organization? Yeah, so our website is www.sofesa.org. Um, if you're a family in need, you go on there and connect with us. If you want to volunteer, we just kicked off a major donor campaign. We received a hundred thousand dollar awesome. campaign. Um, and so, yes, thank you. So we're, we just kicked that off yesterday. So we're looking for a hundred thousand dollars in matching donations awesome. to double money and, um, to build more housing. We have property that we're trying to build housing on permanent housing for families, to keep them off the street and out of the cycle of homelessness. Yes. But yes, awesome. our website. 
One more time with that website, please. Yes, it's www.sofisa.org, S-O-F-E-S-A. I also wanted to mention really quickly that we come into churches. We do half-day retreats on Catholic social teaching in regards to homelessness. Great. We also do corporate workshops as well. Awesome. Well, what what a blessing you've been here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio to inform our listeners of how they can support something that's tragic, especially living in Southern California. For those listeners all over the country, I know homelessness is there too, but especially it seems Southern California, I would think, if what I've read, is it still the number one part of the country that has more homeless on the streets than any other part of the country? Yes. So yeah. we're still king of that. Let's, yeah. let's change that. And again, problem solution, uh, you, uh, you said that this is an epidemic route and it's growing. It, yep. it, is it seem like it's been just the last 10 years that it's grown? Uh, you know, it seems like every year they're, they're, you see tents on downtown L.A., you see them all over the place. Is it, is it still growing or is it, is it actually getting smaller? No, I mean, it's still growing, but it's also been dispersed. So with COVID, you kind of, before COVID, you had sections of encampments, right? Oh, yeah. They were in different areas. COVID moved all the homeless off the streets. If you ever question yourself whether you can get people in housing or not and off yeah. the streets, you absolutely can. Our government housed every homeless person during COVID. I didn't Just know no that. Doubt. Okay, yes. Now, after COVID restrictions were over and the recreation centers and the county parks and recs that were used to house the homeless needed to be opened up again, they dispersed the homeless in all those neighborhoods and areas. Wow. And that's how come we see them everywhere now instead of just in those pockets that were before. But yeah, that. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. We just have a moment or two left. I like repeating websites because it's people sometimes are driving. They can't write it down. One more time with the website to help support your work. Yes, it's www.sofisa.org. S-O-F-E-S-A dot org. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for your time and your work in helping the homeless and especially your witness to your faith and your uh response to the graces God has given to you and your devotion to our Lord and Our Lady. I think it's just beautiful and it's inspirational. And I just, uh, again, thank you for you and your husband. I understand your husband's a, a permanent deacon in yeah. the Catholic Church. And what I mean, we know what deacons were in the early church. Oh, four minutes. Okay. We had deacons there to serve the community. So what a, uh, a, get, what a great thing to have your husband as a permanent deacon and serving the needs of the poor, needs of homeless, anybody. One last question that really crosses my mind that as I'm listening to you, and that is just uh, on the practical level of homelessness, I know you say you have discernment, but we see people, I don't think he answered this one. I mean, do we give them cash or do we give them uh, a food uh, little card for McDonald's or whatever? I personally, I'll just be up front with you. I don't like giving cash to them. As, mm-hmm. And the reason I don't, maybe I'm all wet because I'm I'm not educated, but I'll get educated. But mm-hmm. I see that it gives them an t- opportunity because I see a lot of them drinking, okay, alcohol. And mm-hmm. they could use, they may not have the best judgment to use that money to go buy a hamburger uh, in something to drink and fries. So when I give them a, uh, a coupon to go to El Pollo Loco or the, uh, the McDonald's, I know that they're going to get something that's nourishing, at least for themselves, and not spending it on something that would 
kind of feed their habit. Is mm-hmm. that is that a reasonable approach? Sure, absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with someone who wants to give them a dollar to give them a dollar. What what we try and ask people to think about is, is this relational or transactional? Ah. Are you doing this as a quick transaction is kind of to check a box? Um, If if you encounter this person again, are you going to do the same thing and walk away? Right? So the key is what's at the foundation of that action? Yeah, right? Is it the good of the person? And and a lot of times what I would do too when I see a homeless person, I don't do this with women, but I do it with men. And I see them and if I go and they friends they tell me that they grew up here in the San Gabriel Valley and or you know they're local, I say, Come on, let's have lunch together. Yeah. And then when I sit down and have a meal and I buy it and I tell they have a half hour there and we're eating, and it seems like that kind of relationship even gets tighter because we're sharing a meal together. Am I onto something? Yes, you're totally onto something. And actually, when we encounter a family, there's a, there's a, a two-step process. Okay. The first one is when a, a new family comes in, they immediately get a call with me. Ah. Um, so I encounter every single family awesome. person most and welcome them into what we call the Sofisa family. The second step is that we then go to a meal with the family, my husband and I, and we encounter them as a married couple to begin the relationship with them. And so, yes, we absolutely break bread. That's our second thing we do right after I have that phone call with them. Well, that's great. And and again, um, is this something that you're doing just in Southern California? Or do, are there people like, let's say they're listening in. We have a lot of New England uh, branches with, the church, with um, Stations of the Cross, New York, Boston. Are there areas there or can you refer them to uh, places to help? I mean, in other words, is your organization a local organization or is it national? Yeah, we're definitely local. I mean, our information and insights and education Mm -hmm. is for everyone because it can be applied in any location. But as far as resources and other agency connections, it's it's more it's Los Angeles County. Got it. Okay, but somebody could take those principles and apply mm-hmm. them in their community, whether they're in New York or Boston, uh, Chicago, wherever, because people don't, you know, aren't different. They're all the same. You know, the problems That's are pretty okay. much the That's same. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the principles come from Jesus. Amen. Not so- Amen. So. <laughs> wow. Well, Jess, I, I want to thank you. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard our show, but this is how we close every show. We say to Jesse Romero, Jesse Romero, what state should we be living in? California, Florida, Nevada? No, live in the state of grace. How do we do yes. that? By staying close to Jesus and the sacraments. And then I always say, Our Lady of Fatima said this. She said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. This is First Friday here. What sacrifices are you willing to make for the salvation of souls? We have to remember, as a Catholic, we can unite our suffering with the sufferings of Christ to help redeem the world. And how do we do that best? When we go to Holy Mass and we're present at that one eternal sacrifice. I want to encourage everyone to stay close to Jesus. And who's close to Jesus? Either poor, that's for sure. Because he was poor. He was born poor. So he has something to relate to. And again, I want to thank everybody who supports us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. God bless you and your family. And I pray that God will inspire you to be Jesus to others. God love you. And your family.